The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. We are live on the Roto-Wire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Today is Sunday, April 9th. I am Drew Silva. With me here is Ryan Boyer, Chris Crop been benched for a lack of hustle, and he's also trying to sabotage our shared Google Doc, which I don't really appreciate. Get a life, Chris. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll jump yeah, into some I, noticed, lines here. I was just gonna say, I noticed that Chris's uh sprint speed this year has been down, so I, I don't know if it was him dogging it or he's just getting old. I know he just turned 40, so I don't know. He's overcompensating for something, I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll jump into some headlines, talk some fantasy relevant stories that have been happening over the weekend. Uh, I guess the lead story is the Rays are just going to win the whole damn thing this year. Uh, eight no start to the season and 11 to nothing shellacking of the A's on Saturday. The longest season opening winning streak of all time is 13 games. So that's kind of within sight for this Rays team. The last team with at least eight straight wins all by four runs or more at any point in the season was the 1939 Yankees who did 10 in a row uh, to that effect. And out of curiosity, I looked at that 1939 roster for the Yankees on baseball reference. Joe DiMaggio batted 381 with an 1119 OPS, 30 home runs and 126 RBIs in 120 games played. Just, just unreal. I, like sometimes I feel like the legend of Joe DiMaggio is bigger than what he did baseball wise. But sometimes if you look at like look at his baseball reference, like now he was just like one of the greatest hitters of all time. Clearly, uh, yeah. but but yeah, this Rays team man, hidden for power, a lot more power than anyone could have expected in the early going. And that pitching machine just keeps churning. Jeffrey Springs was ridiculous in his season debut last Sunday against the Tigers. 12 strikeouts, no hits, one walk over six scoreless innings. He kept that scoreless streak going Saturday against the A's with seven strikeouts over seven shutout frames. He's faced, you know, two easy-to-navigate offenses with the Tigers and A's, but you have to be impressed so far. Uh, d- definitely one of the more popular like pitching sleepers. Not necessarily a sleeper because he was so popular in the industry. That's kind of how it works. But in ADP in like the 150, 160 range in drafts this spring. And I think, you know, looking ready to take a big leap forward in workload and production now with a permanent rotation spot there for Tampa Bay. A, a 2.46 ERA. In 25 starts and eight relief appearances last year, a total of 135 and a third innings. Hopefully can reach upwards of 170 to 180 innings this year with a great ERA and a good number of strikeouts. Springs had a really impressive strikeout rate when he was working in relief. And, I mean, the ceiling is really high here for, for what he can be. I don't want to. I don't want to overreact to two starts against the Tigers and A's, but there's like a growing track record of Springs being and becoming a top-flight fantasy starter. He was around the 43rd starter off the board in the average draft this spring, and it's early, but for me, is like seems capable of being a top 25 type starter. Yeah, I mean, I think a couple things probably held him back as far as his ADP goes. I mean, we, you mentioned the workload. We, you never know what the raise, like how much they're going to let their pitchers loose kind of uh, 
reel up on the on the reins a little bit, but they've kind of kind of gone away from that the last couple seasons because they've had more of a traditional rotation. They still don't love guys facing lineups a third time through the order. Um, but I do think, especially since he got that contract extension, um, I think they'll probably that looks like a bargain, doesn't it? Jeez. Yeah, they'll probably probably let him loose a little bit more. You know, his stuff just I mean, he, his fastball sits at like 91. Like his stuff just doesn't pop. I th- that, that kind of profile is just automatically going to garner a little bit of skepticism, but he's got a just a dynamic changeup. Um that's really one of the best pitches in baseball, frankly, probably right now. Um as you mentioned, two really easy matchups. I mean, the Rays' schedule, I don't want to poo-poo what they've done so far. I think they've faced the Tigers, what, Nationals and A's so far. So, yeah, I mean, great start, but, you know, we'll we'll see what – and as you mentioned, like they're just destroying their competition, so it's not like these these games are close at all. I feel like – yeah, I feel like a broken record when I say this because I say it all the time. But and you, we've talked about it. The Rays like operate; they've operated the way they did with pitchers because they had to. Like they didn't right. necessarily have uh, guys that can handle a big workload, and so they had to. They smartly worked around that. Like like not a lot of teams adapt the way that they do. But now that you have these arms that you feel like you can extend, I I feel like he's gonna he's gonna be treated like a normal starting pitcher. And I, I think that the reputation of the Rays was baked into why he was such a value in, in drafts. And um, I don't, I think I have him on one team. I wish I had more shares because it's, it's hard, just hard to trust when a guy has one good year. And his previous years, like he wasn't like a super effective reliever. This was yeah, a guy that was he was a he went from medi- mediocre reliever to like top flight starter, which is obviously a very atypical transition to make. So. That kind of stuff Cardinals was can use some of that, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, I'll say, but yeah, him and like a guy like Drew Rasmussen, I think, yep, are gonna get uh more of a workload this year. And, Zach uh, Eflin, I, Zach I'm Eflin, is, to see what he can do in like a admittedly with, rotation role, right? Admittedly, with Zach Eflin, it's it's a lot of me like just trusting the Rays that they know what they're doing because his career's been so ordinary, but yeah. They know they know what they're doing there. Um, not the best transition because this team hasn't really seemed like they've known what they're doing very well the last since the beginning of last year. But Adam Duvall is looking like a pretty savvy free agent signing. Um, triple crown winner Adam Duvall. Yeah, I mean this very early stage of the season, he is either tied or leading in the triple crown category so far. And, you know, we've seen – this is kind of who he is, like as far as streaks go. That's just the type of hitter he's always been. I think it was actually – I remember from 2021, I think. I think it was actually a series in Fenway Park when he was still with the Braves. He hit like two grand slams in the series and like five home runs. And then he probably went like through like a one for 34 stretch after that. Yeah, But, you know, a lot's been made of how his swing is kind of tailor-made for Fenway Park, and that's – I think that's pretty accurate. Like, he hits a ton of pulled fly balls. You know, a lot of parks, that's going to be a fly out to the warning track, but Fenway Park, that's going to clear the green monster. So, I don't know. He's – you're going to go through – he's not going to be a guy you would like to roster on, like, a head-to-head league where – he can just like tank your batting average a certain week. And then like he, the consistency is just not going to be, be there, but I think the stats could be pretty good in the end. You know, he's had, he's only striking out at 12.1% rate so far. That's not going to continue. Obviously he's been a, a guy who strikes out a lot, doesn't walk that much throughout his career. So that's going to, we're going to see some regression there, but 28% barrel rate, just an insane number. I mean, like I said, we've seen that Adam Duvall do this before. He's going to go through these just white hot stretches and he's going to cool off eventually. But 
240, 30, 35 home runs, I think is well within the range of, of outcomes. I think he's always been a very underrated player. You, you think of him almost as like a corner outfield, like limited tool set type of player, but he's a good defender, like has a big arm. Um, and when he plays, it's it it comes in streaks sometimes, but he can hit bombs, and he's in a really good situation there because the Red Sox don't really have a lot of guys they can lean on for offense behind Rafael Devers and maybe Yoshida, um, who's hit a yeah. lot of ground balls, but certainly is making a lot of contact, which you like to see. Uh, Chris and I broke down some NL and AL Rookie of the Year odds on Saturday shows, and Yoshida was part of that. You know, in the NL, you have Jordan Walker and Corbin Carroll as the favorites, and this is an award that typically goes to a position player because you need volume, like a full resume of stats, and it's hard for rookie pitchers to compile those necessary numbers to to get the, the votes. Uh, but big reason why Michael Harris edged out uh, Spencer Strider yes last year. Yeah, you're right. Anyway, continue because right. no, I mean they, well, we we talked about Strider like. For him to have such an incredible rookie season, but he just wasn't up there all year, that's mm-hmm. why he didn't win it. Um, but I, I'm thinking Kodai Senga, uh, you know, who joined the Mets this winter on a, a five-year, seventy-five million-dollar deal, and brought some ghost fork mania to Queens on Saturday. Six innings of one-run ball against the Marlins, six strikeouts, four of them completed with that fork ball that he throws. Senga is now 2-0 with a 1.59 ERA and 14 strikeouts through 11 and a third innings as a major leaguer. 12 of his 14 strikeouts have been finished off with that ghost fork. Um, it's it, it's a real thing. Like, we hear about these mysterious pitches sometimes. Often it's with pitchers coming over from Japan or, or Korea, the, the gyro ball with dice K and the, all sorts of stuff. Like, oh, this guy throws a pitch you've never seen. And eventually you're like able to classify them as fairly normal pitchers pitches that we've seen before. Uh, but it does seem like Senga has, has brought something pretty unique uh, to his attack against MLB hitters and to great effect so far he had trouble like, or, or at least, you know, the early stories from Mets camp were that he was having trouble adjusting to the different MLB mound, the different MLB baseball, but he figured it out quickly has the velocity. He can touch the high nineties, uh, the movement. I think it's the full package of what can make a guy a fantasy ace, a, a one ninety nine ADP on Yahoo. His ADP was like all over the map because no one really knew what to expect. I talked him up in March on, on this podcast. Uh, so don't blame me if you didn't grab some shares. I love what we've seen so far from Senga. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing to keep an eye on with him to keep in mind, like he's, he's also not used to pitching on quote unquote normal rest. He's used to that extra day of rest in Japan. So Mm -hmm. maybe he's going to tire out eventually, but I mean, the stuff looks just outstanding. You mentioned the ghost fork and he also throws by the way, 98, 99, like when you're, Elevating that fastball at that velocity and just have a fork ball that just drops off the table. It's quite a combination. Have you seen his glove, by the way? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like he's got like a, it's got like an outline of, of Japan and then next to it, it's like a cartoon ghost. And then a that's holding a pitchfork for the ghost fork. You no, know, I was, di- yeah, I was Pretty distracted creative. by this. This comment Harris wasn't up all year either. Like when I brought up the, the Spencer Strider, that's a yeah. great point. Yeah. I mean, there is prejudice for hitters over pitchers just because they have the opportunities to put up more stats. Yeah. Um, I think voters I, generally I, are going to lean that way. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. When it's close. It's why there's a Cy Young Award and, and why it's very rare. What well, I guess it's not that rare, but it, it, it happens fairly uh, not so often that the pitcher is going to win the Cy Young and the MVP. It has to be a really incredible season. And, like, some hitter has to not, you know, take over for that to happen. Yeah. Kind of sticking with the with the Braves here, some <clears throat> excuse me, some less less good news. Um, Travis Darno placed on the injured list, going on the concussion IL. I haven't seen. I mean, obviously, anytime a player goes on the concussion injured list, there's a there's a level of just we don't know exactly. Yeah, level of uncertainty. We just don't know exactly what's gonna how that's gonna 
affect him over the long haul, how long he's going to be a sidelined at this at this time. But, you know, Darno is kind of a at least a surprise to me as far as how much he's played. He had started eight of nine games so far. Uh, Sean Murphy had only started five over that same stretch. Just kind of kind of a weird breakdown. Murphy did catch more games. He caught he caught made five starts to Darno's four at catcher during that stretch, but just kind of a an interesting breakdown uh, as far as playing time goes between those two. For, yeah, for all the all the Atlanta gave up for Sean Murphy, and I know right. it's more like quantity than quality that trade, but mm-hmm. it's almost like they don't like him or something. It's it's very strange. Yeah. I mean, Darno had started to cool off a little bit before he got, he got hurt. I think he had one hit in his last, his last three games. I I do think it's like, this is going to be an opportunity for Murphy to kind of take a stranglehold on that job. Like, I don't, like you mentioned the, how much they gave up for him. And, you know, there were, as, as you know, and I know as a, as Cardinals fans, there were there were multiple teams in there, and that that bidding for Sean Murphy and Braves won out, and he's a better defender, I think, than Darno, and I think he's probably a better hitter too. But Darno's a pretty good bat too. I mean, I would Darno had played his way, I think, into the one catcher league conversation, but I think it's okay, don't you, to drop probably drop him in that format. I would do it. I would hang on to him in two catcher leagues if you can, certainly. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is going to be an opportunity for Murphy to kind of, uh, kind of stake claim to that, that catcher job in Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, Darno was off to a great start, and you love to see him hit and clean up in four straight games before this IL stint. But he's always been a player that, you know, has val- fantasy value in spurts. And I, I wouldn't, really expect it to continue because the Bra- the Braves are going to have options at catcher obviously with with Murphy who's not off to like a bad start at all um has a great plate approach you know has gotten on base a ton and I, I think he's going to really thrive there they gave him that contract extension right away too it's a really good situation for Murphy and and then Darno is going to have to be contending for opportunities at DH I know Marcelo Zuna is off to a terrible start yeah but Atlanta has a lot of options to throw into that DH spot and, and probably more as the season rolls along. Uh, we did talk about Evan Phillips on, on Saturday's show, but I feel like we have to to talk about him again. It was one of Chris's draft day regrets, not getting enough shares of what looks to be like the Dodgers locked in closer. All of a sudden uh, picked up two saves in the opening week of the season. And, and Dodgers manager, Dave Roberts has publicly said now that Phillips will even be reserved more often than not for ninth inning duties. You just got to love the way this is setting up as, as someone me who did draft a lot, a lot of Phillips late, late in drafts this spring, absolutely dominant in 2022. He was like a waiver claim. I think from the Rays in two, in August of 2021, he just carried this over into the 2023 season. I, I said this to Chris and I think you'll agree, Ryan, but, Dave Roberts seems to to like to have an established closer uh, for like all the ways the Dodgers like to, to get smart with things. And they're very effective at that. Roberts is pretty old school when it comes to saves and which we all appreciate as fantasy managers and, and fantasy writers. Uh, thank you, Dave Roberts. I, I, I if you were, it, it was hard to foresee how the, the Dodgers closer situation would shake out, but I could kind of foresee it being Phillips because he was so steady last year and they seem to really trust him in high leverage situations. And I'm very glad to have, I'm very smart is what this is the point I'm trying to make. Right <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know if it was because I was like, I feel like Roberts is um, during spring training. I think he, you know, came out and said like, basically he thought he would use Phillips like a, yeah, for like a fireman role, like, and you'd understand if he would want to use him in that role. That's often reserved for, for your best reliever. Which I, you know, given what he did last year, I think it's fair to classify that he was and still is their best reliever. Um, I mean, if he does have that closer job, I mean, he's got the potential to be a elite as far as a fantasy option goes. You know, even more. Uh, 
kind of give him a, a bigger leash in that role is Daniel Hudson allegedly isn't bouncing back from like he had knee surgery, right? Yeah. Tore his ACL. It's, it's taken a long time for him. Yeah. And it, it just, he just keeps his rehab just keeps dragging on. I actually liked him. If you had asked me two months ago, who was going to lead the Dodgers and saves, I would have said Daniel Hudson. Uh, just because, I mean, he was really good when he pitched last year too. It just was an abbreviated season for him. And I think he's more of a one inning reliever type guy, but obviously that he's taken a step back um, and Phillips has been great in the early going. And I think, I think you're right. David Roberts, as much as he, he'll talk like he doesn't have an established closer, but his usage with his bullpen is uh usually going to point to to him preferring one guy over others. Um, speaking of relievers, some some bad news, unfortunately, just came out this morning. Andres Munoz uh, was placed on the injured list. They're calling it, I believe, a deltoid strain, so a shoulder strain, essentially. Yeah, I was asking you, that's like these muscles, right? Up in the yeah. shoulder to the yeah. neck. Yeah, and like he said, he – I think he said he felt felt something, I don't know, warming up or during one of his appearances, but they're talking more like it's um, like he's just having trouble bouncing back from appearances. Like he, the next day, he's just not feeling well. Um, I mean, he hadn't given up a run yet so far this year, so it's not like it's affected his performance that much, but velocity has been down slightly. I mean, he's still throwing like 99 because that's what he does, but slider not quite as effective in the early going. I, I don't want to read too much into that, but you know, anytime where, you know, Munoz did have an abbreviated spring training. He had, I think foot surgery over the off season. So maybe his arm just wasn't quite up to par ready for the, the rigors of the season quite yet. Uh, so hopefully this is just kind of a, in effect, like a dead arm phase that he's going through and he'll, he'll bounce back soon. But, you know, Paul Seawald, good guy to have for saves right now. He, he closed out, uh, I think Friday and Saturday got saves in both of those games, which I believe will make him unavailable Sunday. So Matt Brash, maybe using a save. A buddy. save chance of, yeah, uh, buddy. yeah. I mean, Seawald's definitely the guy and he, he's been, Really good. I mean, for as much as everybody loves Andres Munoz, Paul Seawald's been awesome for the last few years in that bullpen. But yeah, I think Matt Brash is also worth scooping up in deeper leagues too. Like he's the command, the control is just not great. But like, it's looked a little better, maybe. Has, this yeah, I mean, he he legitimately has like some of the best relief stuff in baseball right now. Like, I agree. If everything, if he can just hone in and repeat that delivery and you know the command gets a little bit better it doesn't have to even be like elite when he's a reliever like if it could just be solid like he could be legitimately one of the better relievers in baseball but so i do think he's worth picking up but seawald definitely the guy to to own in that bullpen i mean yeah munoz and seawald were drafted very close to each other in fantasy leagues this spring it would have been nice to almost like just get both of them, but you feel stupid wasting like a. It was like the 12 13 round range. Like, I'm not going to waste two turns on two Mariners relievers. It's, it's like you had to pick one. Yeah. And the, the way it's played out this season, the Munoz injury complicating things, but it's like, uh, you kind of want to have both. And, and right now, if if you pick Seawald, you're certainly in a better spot. Um, We'll get into some some early risers and fallers in the early part of the season, but first a little commercial break. Baseball is back. Swing into the MLB season with vivid seats and score tickets to all the hottest matchups and biggest games of the year. Every crack of the bat, every deep center fly and every heart pounding double play of your favorite team live and in person. Plus with vivid seats rewards. Now you can earn rewards with every single purchase. Each ticket you buy gets you closer to your reward just buy 10 tickets, then simply cash in your credit toward your 11th ticket purchase. It's that easy. A pro reward tip, buy tickets for your whole group, split the bill and make progress towards your free 11th ticket even faster. 
From behind the plate to the upper deck, Vivid Seats has great tickets for all the 2023 games that matter to you. Just Vivid just visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. See vividseats.com slash rewards for terms and conditions. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we do a little thing on Sunday called three up, three down. Uh, just listen off three players who had a good Saturday, three players who showed some concerns on Saturday. I'll go first with Nick Lodolo, who was ridiculous on Saturday at Philadelphia. 12 strikeouts over seven scoreless innings. Of course, the Reds lost that game 3-2. <laughs> it's almost like a tungsten arm O'Doyle situation with that team. Uh, that probably did keep a lot of fantasy managers from drafting Lodolo this spring, or, or at least like reaching for him. The fact that he's on the Reds and pitching in a tough home ballpark. Uh, but the individual talent is just obvious with him. And it's not like he went super late. 141 ADP on Yahoo, uh, coming off a 3.66 ERA, 131 strikeouts over his first 103 and a third major league innings last season. He's nasty. Uh, the the called strikes plus whiffs number, if you look like to look at that, the CSW rates, um, that curveball, like the four-seamer, the changeup, it all passes the eye test. It passes the data test. He's up there with the elite pitchers in the game uh, in a lot of metrics um, with his arsenal. And off to a great start in 2023. Gets the Phillies again next, this time at, at home in Great American Ballpark. It should be an intriguing matchup. Hunter Green you know, is another pitcher who was and is like somewhat tainted by just being on the Reds who don't have a lot of financial backing from ownership. Um, that doesn't seem like there's a lot of love there. Uh, and I actually am a little bit worried about green from what I've seen in the early going. I love the strikeouts, you know, those should be there all year, but his pitch count gets so high in the early portion of his starts because the control just isn't especially great. And, you know, major league hitters can turn around a triple digits fastball when they know it's coming. So I need to see more there with green um, to pitch, maybe even like pitch to more contact just so that he can work deeper into games. That's a tricky thing when great American ballpark is your home stadium. Uh, Lodolo, at least for me, seems a bit more polished, at, at least in like the, the command regard and, and not just from what we've seen in a short sample in 2023. I, I think he can be a really effective fantasy start of the entire year with with that raw arsenal that he has yeah i mean with green like he he is the fastball just by the 
naked eye just looks great, but it doesn't get a ton of whiffs usually. And I think compounding his not great control is it seems like teams are able to foul off that fastball a lot and that just elevates the pitch count. And but I agree that Lodolo, I mean Lodolo's a guy it's I was talking him up like all off season. Um and then as you mentioned though, other people like him so much too. I wound up with him in zero leagues. It it, it really sucks when you like really like a guy and really think he's going to be good and he is good and you don't reap the benefits from that. So basically I'm just asking people to feel sorry for me. I didn't get any Nick Lodolo shares, but it is going to be, you know, you mentioned being on the reds and being in that park. Um, Alexis Diaz, by the way, was the one who blew that, that I think actually uh, Ian Jabot. Yeah. Ian Jabot technically got that blown save, but Alexis Diaz is going to be a really good closer, I think. But that bullpen in front of him can be could be a little shaky, um, and their offense isn't going to score a ton of runs probably. So the wins could be hard to come by, hard to come by for Lodolo. But you know, I love that stuff. Like you mentioned the the four seamer, the sinker. Like he has like. Uh, like an obscene amount of horizontal movement. I, I think a lot of it is the his delivery. Like it's kind of Chris Sale esque from that arm it angle. Is, yeah. It's like, like a little just, herky jerky, but yeah, yeah, just kind of like sweeps across the plate. Like I, I don't know how how anybody squares him up, honestly. Um, a guy who is quite the opposite of that. Actually, he pretty much comes like right from over the top is Michael Waka, but he also had a an amazing start Saturday, uh, 10 strikeouts over six scoreless innings in Atlanta, just two hits allowed. He had 16 whiffs on 95 pitches. Half of those whiffs unsurprisingly came on that change up. That's always been Waka's best pitch. You know, he had a really good year for the Red Sox last year. Um, I think he only wound up making like 23 starts. He was hurt for a little bit of it. He's never been and never will be, I don't think, uh, a workhorse. But the Padres are working with that six-man rotation, so I think that could actually help Waka, even though he's not going to make as many starts. Could allow him to stay healthy and maybe more fresh. Um, You know, he only had like two strikeouts in his first start, which was just kind of a so-so start. But, you know, 10 strikeouts, only two hits allowed in, in Atlanta. You and I, Drew, unfortunately know that that Atlanta lineup is pretty legitimate. They put a hurting on our Cardinals this past week. Yeah. But, you know, Waka still for me is more of a streaming option probably. Um, he's going to be, because of that six-man rotation, he's not going to have a lot of two-star weeks. Um, so I think you can plug him into your lineup on weeks when he has a favorable matchup. Um, he, he'll be able to pull out these good starts against a good lineup like the Braves every now and then. But in general, I'm still going to use him as more of a more of a streaming option. Uh, a guy I have a little more faith in is more of a kind of a set it and forget it starter is Jordan Montgomery, also coming off of just a fantastic start in Milwaukee last night, nine strikeouts over seven scoreless innings, just three hits allowed, uh, threw an even 100 pitches had 14 whiffs on those 100 pitches. Also got a lot on the, on the change up. It was his best pitch, uh, yesterday as well. Like Waka, um, Montgomery wasn't great in his first outing, but he did get a pick up a W. So he's two and zero already, you know, he, he started using the four seamer with the Cardinals down the stretch last year that the Yankees didn't really want him using that pitch, but he used it a lot more. And I think he's actually used the gone back to using the sinker more so far this year. So still got some things to figure out with the, how he wants to utilize that repertoire. He's going to be, he's working with a different catcher, obviously this year, the Yachty retiring, but Montgomery has been a guy who's, he's always had really high swinging strike rates with like basically his entire repertoire. 
but his strikeout rates have just been kind of middling. So I think in the back of everyone's mind, he's someone who could potentially take another leap in that regard. I'm not necessarily counting on that happening, but I think he could definitely, you know, strike out, strike out a batter per inning and pile up a good number of wins with a solid ERA on a backed by a good Cardinals defense. Um, Next two starts at home against the Pirates, at home against the Diamondbacks. So that's a pretty good, pretty good setup. So I do like Jordan Montgomery to uh, continue with a nice start. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned Montgomery in our ERA preview podcast. Like he's he's set up well with that Cardinals defense, and being able to pitch to contact. I I, I don't know that the strikeouts are going to be enormous but he's in a really good situation were you surprised that the cardinals didn't like right at the end of camp he said that they didn't even approach him about a contract extension this spring oh i didn't know that i didn't see that quote yeah i like yeah. if anybody was gonna i know they locked up michaelis to uh, michaelis, yeah. yeah but i thought montgomery there's a pretty good chance of of that too but i no, i didn't see that they so hadn't just... talked to him about it it's surprising. I don't understand really. Yeah, they're obviously short-term, but also long-term pitching blueprint. You know, they've got Graceffo and, and Tink Hens. They've got some interesting arms in the minors, but I I don't think they're set up very well to like be a competitive pitching team. And it's always kind of been their their bag is like producing really good starters and locking up the right guys. I mean, they're going to have to be willing to spend on free agents next offseason. Exactly. And they, which is, they which is not, not done that ever do. Right. Yeah. They're going to have to go against the, against their normal MO if they want to build up that pitching staff. I mean, maybe, yeah. I don't know if Montgomery is interested at all in discussing an extension during the season, but he would be a. I just felt like th- this spring was the right time because he had such a great August. You saw, like last year, you saw what he could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he didn't have a great September. So it's almost like, all right, maybe you can kind of lock him up on the cheap. Um, yeah. But it's it's just strange to me that they didn't even pursue it. I, I guess like the, the Bally Sports Midwest thing is a bigger factor than we know. But I, I don't like them using that as an excuse. You know that I know, Arby's, Arby's is, is still doing pretty well. Yeah, <laughs> Major League Baseball is going to take care of Bill DeWitt, like Bill DeWitt got Rob Manford hired as commissioner. Yeah. Like they're going to get the, the Cardinals are going to get their TV rights payments. I have full confidence in that no matter how they get it done. Uh, Anyway, we don't need to turn this into a a full Cardinals podcast. Uh, Three down from Saturday. I'll start it off with, with Noah Syndergaard. got roughed up by the Diamondbacks on Saturday, six earned runs on eight hits over just four innings. No walks, but he did hit two batters, and he gave up two home runs, only two strikeouts. Really a letdown after he was a popular, you know, pickup or popular like streaming play coming off that sharp debut against the same Arizona team last Sunday. Six innings of one run ball, and that one his official Dodgers debut. There was some buzz in like parts of I don't want to say the fantasy industry, but parts of like just the baseball fandom industry in general about Cindergard like finding something getting back toward his prime years self with a move into the Dodgers pitching system because they do so well and you know we see it with Evan Phillips like just making kind of like also rans super effective and you know Cindergard wasn't an also ran he was one of one of the best pitchers in baseball for a time being um but I'm I'm just I'm not really seeing anything new or super encouraging in the early going with what Syndergaard's doing. It feels like more of a streamer to me moving forward in a mixed format. Like even when he was Thor in New York, that, that era, it didn't last as long. I think as, as some people think anecdotally, anecdotally, I can't even say that word. Um, I mean, you, you could say he had like one and a half truly dominant seasons with the Mets. Yep. And the rest has just sort of been fine. Of course, there's injuries mixed in with that, and it's it's part of the reason. But like most notably in terms of strikeouts, like he doesn't miss a ton of bats these days. Um, so I I just I don't feel super confident. I think there's going to be a lot of outings where he gets a little blown up, and I don't think the the strikeout rate is worth it to like carry him as a locked in part of my roster in a standard league. Lines up to face the Cubs next. Maybe that's a bounce back situation, 
but we'll see. I, I I'm not real high on on Syndergaard. I wasn't high on him this spring, and and what I've seen so far doesn't really tell me that he's gonna have new life with the Dodgers. Yeah, it's interesting how it's kind of evolved. With like we heard when he opted to sign with the Dodgers over the off season, like he said, he turned down more lucrative multi year contracts elsewhere because he wanted to get in the Dodgers system and he he had a quote like I mean there's no reason why I can't throw 100 again like I used to and that, that got people excited and he went to drive line over the offseason and then more recently like late in spring training when he's you know sitting like 93 he said you know, there's no reason I can't be effective at 93. So he's just like reality is setting in. Like he, he's just not going to be Thor anymore. You know, he could. And it, hey, this he commenter could, brings up a good point. Like the Dodgers have solutions if if they want to move Syndergaard. Like Bobby Miller, I know he opened the year on the minor league IL, but that dude is going to be a star. Gavin Stone. Yeah. They've got things that they can throw at this if if they feel like Syndergaard is not going to be effective. Yeah, they've been, they were pretty vocal about, um, well, I shouldn't say the Dodgers themselves were pretty vocal, but we saw pundits, I know Rosenthal had a column about it. Like they were planning to go with basically kind of a youth movement, a quasi youth movement this year and kind of keep the powder dry, as they say, for probably Otani, maybe. Maybe someone else next offseason. But they wanted to get under that luxury tax threshold and they're going to give their younger guys an opportunity. So I, I'm I agree. I think if Cinder Guard is inconsistent, which I suspect he probably will be. I don't think they're gonna, you know, he's on a one year deal. I don't think they're gonna have a ton of patience with him. Another guy on a one year deal who is off to a really, really brutal start. Uh, not in the yeah, lineup bad. today. I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> not in the lineup today. Uh, Brandon Belt, um, one for 13. Wait, that's not right. One for 23, I believe. I think I wrote, wrote my – strikeouts? Yeah, 15 and, tw- and 25 plate appearances. Like, he's a guy who's – his strikeouts have gone up a little bit the last couple of years, but he hasn't struck out a ton in his career. But So that's – pretty alarming like i i was like all over belt as far as like a late like corner infield option like when he was healthy the last uh, forget about 2022 maybe we can't just like completely wipe wipe it out but he was dealing with like a nagging knee issue uh didn't play well then but 2021 and 2020 like he had like a 980 ops or something like that and like 30 plus home runs. Like, uh, I think he I was mean, at 29 homers in a very short time. Yeah. Frame. Like, he was really good for when he was healthy and he got the knee taken care of. Um, they kind of slow played him this spring, but, you know, allegedly entered the season healthy. Uh, like, I'm not ready to completely write him off, but. Like he's also not the kind of guy that you, especially at a deep position like first base, that you necessarily need to to wait around on. Like if I had enough roster space where I could keep Brandon Belton on my bench in a deeper league, I would prefer to do that. Um, but at the same time, if you need that roster space, I mean, he's off to a brutal start. He's already been moved down in the in the lineup. I think he hit eighth yesterday. He, was hitting like fifth at the beginning of the season, I believe. So, you know, and the, the Blue Jays have other options at designated hitter too. They can play Danny Jansen more at catcher and use Alejandro Kirk at DH. So they're not going to wait around on Brandon Belt to get to get going. Uh, like I said, I, I do think there's a decent chance he could still wind up being pretty productive, but it's the kind of thing where – at a deep position like first base, um, it's fine if you need to if you need to free up that roster spot. It was such a promising situation for yeah. him to be like a fa- really under the radar fa- productive fantasy guy because he wouldn't have to play the field because Vladimir right. Guerrero Jr. is going to be at first base for the most part. 
Um, and, and the the Blue Jays could just use him effectively. And and I still think that outline is there. Like it's way too early to say, oh, sure. just he he's lost at the plate now. Like it's it's he's had a tough week and a half. Everyone's had a tough week and a half. Mike right. Trout has tough weeks and a half. Um, my other guy, and I think you guys actually talked about him last week, but I Shintaro Fujinami, uh, not great. <laughs> like he led five earned runs on three hits and four walks over four and a third innings Saturday against the Rays. And yet his ERA actually improved uh, from 30.86 to 17.55. And it, it's silly to cite ERA at this point in the year, but just the results for Fujinami have been terrible across the board. Only one strikeout Saturday, two among 21 batters faced really looking like a non-competitive major league pitcher. And he obviously didn't have the hype of a, a Kodai Senga when he signed with the A's this offseason. It was just a one-year deal. Was it like $3.25 million? It wasn't a lot of money because it's the A's. Uh, but I, I saw him go off the board late in some drafts, and I think this is a droppable situation. Um, and use that spot to stream someone else. Like he's just He's not passing the eye test, not passing – the data test. And I don't think it's like a too early overreaction to say that he's not necessarily an effective major league starter. Yeah. I mean, he like, he's one of the hardest throwing starters in baseball already. And he's got the, as many Japanese pitchers do, he's kind of uses that splitter as a, as an out pitch. And like, I feel like he'll flash a little bit. Like the stuff looks pretty good at times. I know he's been on the pitching ninja account a handful of times. So he, he'll, he'll look good from the occasional pitch, but you know, the command obviously is just really poor. I wonder if they're going to, maybe they'll go ahead and open. Yeah. Yeah. Cause maybe that'll play up and they, they don't have a an established closer there, certainly, and maybe they could uh, get a couple good months out of out of him and then flip him to uh, to a contender. But I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm completely. That does I, seem to be their their game plan. <laughs> with every year, with every player. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually had Fujinami as a. I think when we were doing our strikeouts uh, podcast, is kind of a deep sleeper because I thought he could. The ratios probably wouldn't be great, but he could still get a bunch of strikeouts, especially from a, like a per inning basis. Uh, but yeah, not looking great for him. All right, let's wrap it up with some fab targets, some some waiver wire guys. Francisco Alvarez, uh, we got to talk about him first. Finally he actually in the lineup? On... <laughs> yeah, he is. I <laughs> Man, finally getting a shot on Sunday afternoon against the Marlins starting at catcher bat and eighth for the Mets. Uh, he was called up on Friday, but had been sitting on the bench there for Buck Walter and company on Friday and Saturday. So I guess we don't know what the playing time will be. I would assume he's going to get a lot of looks between catcher and DH. Omar Navarro's is out for multiple months. They said eight to nine weeks with that severe left calf strain. Thomas Nito is their other option at catcher. We know that Alvarez can hit. Uh, was already off to a crazy start in his short time at AAA to begin the year. I picked him up in one league, uh, finally able to put him in my my Sunday lineup. That league allows daily moves, daily lineup changes. I'm hoping we see him get an extended chance. There's an obvious layout there for him to take on an everyday role with the Mets. Like, why not? Um, I guess... We haven't seen it happen. I, I I didn't like read if if Showalter. I'm sure he was asked about it, what the reason was for him. Maybe I would understand Friday. It, it was it was the Mets home opener. Um, yeah. Maybe just let him soak it in and then play him Saturday. But it was weird to me that he didn't he didn't play Saturday either. I I think he's definitely a recommended pickup given the minor league production. Just let him play, Buck. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Showalter was asked about it, and he. He gave a very uh, Showalter answer, like, uh, <laughs> "Yeah, we'll see how it we'll see how it develops." But uh, you know, he'll he'll get some playing time. So didn't really commit to anything. I, you know, I and immediately we saw. Um, I think it was Andy Martino, the SMY TV, came out with an article basically 
just glorifying Tomas Nito and how great of a pitch framer he is. A, a great, a great, a impeccably timed article. Uh, but yeah, I mean, between catcher and DH, I, I, I've got to think that Alvarez is going to get a, a, a good amount of run. Um, I don't know that he's going to be a viable one catcher. It, so that's certainly in a, that's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. I mean, he's certainly got the upside to be a, a viable uh, option in a one catcher league, even if he doesn't have an ideal amount of playing time. Cause that bad is just so has a potential to be so special, but yeah, we'll see how, uh, see how that playing time breaks down between, between him and Tomas Nito. Got to get that Tomas Nito glove in the lineup, Drew. Um, but Jeez. another guy, <laughs> another guy that's looks, looks like he might get an opportunity soon. Um, Brandon Fott. By the way, I did I did confirm with Chris Crawford. It is Brandon Fott. I was I was you I were correct, fat. and I was. It's not Brandon Fat, as I wanted to pronounce it uh, a few weeks ago. Anyway, um, Zach Davies. I think we all kind of figured that Zach Davies would lose his rotation spot at some point for one reason or another. Um, unfortunately, it looks like it's going to be because of a strained oblique. Likely going to the injured list. As it just so happens, Brandon Fott is on the same schedule as Zach Davies. He would, he would be a natural guy to slide into the rotation. I haven't said if they uh, – Tori Lovello has said that Fott is the likely guy. I mean, they have Drew, Jam- Drew Dre Jamison. Dre Jamison there as well, um, who actually picked up a save this past week. He, he I think he might be – it might be interesting if they just That's throw something to look out for. I know when, mm-hmm. when we were talking about the diamondbacks in the lead up to the season, I was like, what is this bullpen? And then when Ryan Nelson won that number five spot out of camp, I was like, and they put James in there. Like, man, he could just, some, he's got good stuff. Like he could definitely yeah. be a, a shutdown reliever. Yeah. I don't know if they want to like let him do like back-to-back appearances yet or what. So it'd be kind of, kind of weird for a, a weird situation for a, a potential closer, but, but he's certainly certainly got the stuff to do if they want to go that route. Um, Fott had one really bad start, one much better start at AAA. Um, it's given up five home runs already. It's two AAA starts so far this season. You know, he also led all of my minor league baseball in strikeouts last year. Um, right. Has great control. He, the stuff is... I've seen some people say that like they don't love the fastball just from a scouting perspective. Like it doesn't have the ideal shape and path or that your scouts are looking for. So I think they're worried that it could get hit a little hard and, you know, giving up five hormones in his first two triple A starts, maybe that kind of uh, speaks to that a little bit to that as well, but he's got excellent control. I think he could be a, a whip asset a strikeouts asset right out of the gate uh, like you like i said we don't know for sure that it's going to be him um taking davy's spot but that would just make a whole lot of sense like he was one of the last cuts in spring training he's on the same schedule as davy's as i mentioned um if he does slide into the rotation it looks like at miami would be his debut so that's a nice uh Nice cush, cushy uh, landing spot to kind of break in with. So, Brandon Fott, I think, is going to be uh, some fab dollars are going to be spent on Brandon Fott this this Sunday night. I think it's worth it just with the the strikeout potential. I I, yeah. I don't know like enough about him. Um, sometimes I like pretend that I'm a scout, but I I really don't know enough about the Arsenal. Uh, I, I trust what other people say, and it, it seems like that strikeout stuff is is at least going to play a little bit at the major league level. Uh, Trevor Larnick is interesting. We we've been teased over the years by many a Twins outfielder, um, and they they all seem to kind of fall into the Trevor Larnick type. Uh, but he had a great showing in the Grapefruit League this spring, and has like very immediately taken on a prominent role in that Minnesota offense, batting either cleanup or third out of the gate this season has a 355 batting average and 976 OPS through 37 plate appearances. We haven't seen like immense power from 
Larnick in, in the majors or really in the minors either. But the Twins seem to believe that he has the capabilities of being a, a middle-of-the-order hitter. Um, and if you need an outfielder, like maybe you're somebody who lost Michael Harris, hopefully that's only going to be a 10-day absence. But there's an easy add there in Larnick. I mentioned like Miles Straw as an option. Uh, I forget who else. Adam Frazier. Like you said to me on one of the first podcasts we did, and I brought this up to Chris yesterday, like outfield was kind of actually shallow this year. Like yeah. if you were playing in a, a five outfielder league and you waited to fill your final two outfield spots, which is what I would normally do, like you all of a sudden pulled up pull up that the available outfielders on your board and you're like, oh no. Like I made <laughs> I made a mistake here. Um Yeah, like you know, it can be yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say, like you know you know they're gonna be guys that emerge um from those later round picks, but there was like a just a massive glob of guys from like blob. I don't know. yeah yeah like like outfielder 30 40 all the way to outfielder 90 that just seemed all kind of similar and you mm-hmm. you like some of them more than others but you know they all seem to have relatively the same chance to to be a viable fantasy starting outfielder and it was just tough to differentiate and that's that's why I wasn't in love with uh with the outfield depth but the, yeah, Larnich is the increase in yeah the increase in stolen bases will help that like because you're yeah. gonna like Estereo Ruiz who we've talked about a ton but like there's gonna be guys like that, that that can at least contribute to one category. Yeah, Larnish by the way has been playing against lefties too, so that's that's a good sign. So, and I think at at least I think he's got a home run actually against uh, a lefty already. So yeah, good sign for him. Hopefully he can stay healthy. I know they've had yeah like I don't know if. Maybe there's like a this is like a sneaky breakout candidate. Um, yeah, a former first round pick. He was never like a yep. like a super highly touted prospect or anything. But you know, obviously, there's a little bit of pedigree there. So, mm-hmm. Twins are trusting him in the middle of the lineup. And as I mentioned, he hasn't been platooned yet either. So that's that's a good sign. Yep. Um, another guy off to a good start, Orlando Arcia. Um, maybe the Braves knew what they were doing after all the the shortstop situation uh, too early to say probably, but yeah, coming into action Sunday, RCO has an eight thirty nine OPS, two home runs in his first nine games. Uh, the stack has data looks good too. 92.3 uh, average exit velocity, 53.8% hard hit rate, 11.5% barrel rate. The stack has data was actually pretty good last year too. Um, he had, Average exit velocity was over 90 miles per hour. That's well above average. Um, I think it's maybe easy to forget that he came up so early. And so that's, he's only 28. Like it seems like he's been around forever. Um, so I don't know. Maybe he's kind of a late bloomer type. It's possible. Unfortunately, he has, he doesn't run at all anymore. That used to be kind of part of his game. And, in Milwaukee, but you know, he's, his sprint speed is not good and he just doesn't seem to show any desire even in the environment now to where you can basically anybody has a chance to steal bases. doesn't seem like he's really interested in doing that, but he's hitting the ball hard consistently. Um, doesn't strike out a ton. He's got multi-position eligibility. I'm not really interested in like a 12 team context, but I think like in a 15 teamer with the ability to play, I think he's eligible at second base, uh, shortstop and outfield. I think it could be handy to have. Um, I mean, he, he's going to bat in the bottom of third of that lineup, but there could still be some RBI opportunities in, in a good Atlanta order. So I, I, I think he could still be deep league viable all season. I mean, speaking of Atlanta, I should say that Bryce Elder looked awesome against the Cardinals in his season debut, six scoreless innings, six strikeouts, yeah. only two hits allowed, three walks. Um, most notably, he has a two-start week against the Reds and the Royals. So if you're going to pick up a starting pitcher, it'd be him. I, I, he's got a, some prospect pedigree a little bit. Um, the the like strikeouts were never really there in the minors. I, I don't – and – 
the issue is Atlanta has like a lot of options for those final few spots in their rotation. So I don't know if he sticks in the rotation all year, uh, but if he pitches as well as he did in St. Louis uh, the other night, maybe. And you love a two-start week guy that is available out there on a lot of waiver wires. Uh, J.D. Davis is another interesting name too. Looks to be carving out a regular role with the Giants. He offered fantasy relevance at times with the Mets when he was playing regularly. That 22 homer season in 2019, a 307 average and 895 OPS that year too. Uh, jumping into the number three spot in the Giants lineup on Saturday, went two for four with a double. The starts have been sort of like intermittent, if that's the word, like forever stuck in a platoon in his career. But his lefty-ready splits are like not all that drastically different to the point where he should be necessarily a pl- platoon player. Like his career OPS against lefty and righties is very similar. Um, he can hit both. And there's a path to starts at, at third base or first base with San Francisco. Like the giants do not have obvious answers at either of those spots. And he could cycle in at DH too. That's a team that's going to need offensive help as the year rolls along. And Davis can provide that he's provided it and they're really going. It's a good situation. I think he's a really good pickup if you need corner infield help. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I mentioned the, stack ass stuff from Orlando Arcia. Davis has always been kind of a kind of a stack ass darling. He's generally hit the ball really hard when he does make contact. He's always been dinged for his glove. Like especially I mean he came up as a third baseman, I believe, but he's just really bad defensively. That's a large reason why I think he never got an extended look with the Mets. Remember when they traded him and like five other players for uh, Darren Ruff last year, by the way. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, like I guess the Giants are more willing to deal with his uh, defensive shortcomings because they could yeah, use – he doesn't have a position. Offensive a boost. So neither does Darren Ruff. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, like you mentioned, that's he's kind of a perfect fit. Like the, he, he, can, he can fill in and uh, at least hold a glove and hopefully hit the – catch the balls that are hit to him and uh, you can hold a glove. That's your scouting report. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, that's right, I don't know, me, the, uh, the Giants defense last year, but they didn't have many guys who could even hold a glove. So, you know, <laughs> I guess they're willing to deal with, uh, with, with, with JD Davis's uh, defensive issues because they need that offense, as you mentioned. So I agree. Should have multi position eligibility as well. And, in the middle of that lineup, he could be a could be kind of a sneaky deep league option. Before I let you go, have your Easter egg hunt with your children, <laughs> uh, yeah. Nolan Gorman. I, I don't think you and I have talked about him on this podcast together. We've probably tweeted a lot about him. I I think I I didn't forget about him, but I feel like the baseball world kind of forgot about how much of a prospect he was and how much raw power there is there. He was fooled by high fastballs last season, which was really concerning, Um, but he still managed to hit what, like 37 home runs between triple a and the majors. And he put in work over the winter to solve, like he should be a great high fastball hitter, right? Like with his plate approach and his power. And I, I think he's, he has erased that hole in his swing. Um, I I think he's going to, I mean, he's still so young too. Like, I think he's going to have a really special season and he should have been drafted more. We just didn't really know what, where he was going to play, but right. he's an obvious answer for them at DH. It kind of stinks to like throw such a young guy into a DH role. Cause you want him to develop defensively, but he's not very good defensively. So I I'd be okay with him just becoming a huge dude and playing, playing DH the rest of his career. Yeah, I saw it. I can't remember who tweeted it out um, a couple days ago, but they tweeted out the uh, the O swing leaders. That's uh, players who um, chase the least amount out of the strike zone. And among qualified hitters, Nolan Gorman was like third in all of baseball, which I feel like that's a Love super yeah. good sign for him. Um, yeah. because he, even though he struck out a lot when he made contact last year, he, he had like a, uh, 
uh, almost like a 15% barrel rate, like he as a 22 year old in his first taste of the majors. So there were good things he did last year. Obviously he had things to work on and he seemed like he really worked hard on that over the, over the off season, as you mentioned. And he looks bigger too. Like he, yeah. he looks stocky. Yeah. I mean, I think the playing time is, is going to be there. They can always move Donovan around if they need to, if someone else gets hurt. So, and like you mentioned, they have that DH spot available. So, yeah, I, I I think Gorman's definitely got some staying power. All right, that'll be it for us. Thanks for tuning in to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Drew Silve. Ryan is at Ryan P. Boyer. Stay tuned for more episodes every day of the week. Peace out.